You're listening to RUF at the University of Kentucky. Here at RUF, we believe that you're never so good that you do not need God's grace, and you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out on Instagram at UKRUF or at www.ruf.org backslash UK. Thanks for listening. This semester, what we've been doing is looking at the life of Abraham, uh, and we've been looking at, at what it looks like uh, to follow God's promises uh, in the midst of seasons uh, of encouragement, in the midst of seasons of discouragement. And, and as we've looked at Abram's life, uh, we've seen that there's been some really high points. Uh, God shows up in Abraham's life, calls him to leave his family, his land, uh, and he follows him. He takes his family on a 1,500-mile journey to follow God, to trust that God is going to keep his promises. Uh, there's also some really low points. Uh, God promises Abram a son, and, and Abram's waiting. At this point where we pick up in these passages, he's waited 25 years. Uh, but after about 12 years, he gets pretty impatient, and he and his wife hatch this plan to have a child through his wife's slave. Um, that did not work out well. Uh, if you were with us two or three weeks ago, we, we looked at that passage. It, it just brought more chaos and, and more pain. Uh, tonight, we are going to look at a, past, uh, at a passage that is it's filled with laughter. Uh, it ends well. There's fulfilled promises. Uh, there's joy. And I think this passage allows us to hope. 
And so uh, I, I want to ask you, when you hear those words, joy and hope, uh, when you hear that the good news of the gospel not only invites you, but frees you to rejoice, to have hope, how does that land with you? When was the last time you felt like deep, lasting joy? When was the last time you hoped? And, and not hoped in things that you were like pretty sure were gonna happen, but like, like you hoped and dreamed of things you longed to happen. It's hard. We live in a broken world and in a fallen world as we've seen in Abraham's life, as we see in our own lives, uh, to rejoice and to hope don't always come easily. They're not the easiest things to do. They're not the easiest things to feel. We can't just conjure them up. The invitation of this passage, the overall theme of these passages is that God's faithfulness actually invites you and enables you to rejoice and hope. And, and so we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the struggle to hope, and then secondly, we're going to look at the reason we can hope. So let me pray for us. Father, um, we come tonight, and uh, this is a room uh, in which there is uh, real uh, pain. Uh, there's real sadness. Uh, Lord, there are real roadblocks uh, to joy and to hope. And so... We would ask tonight that you, by your grace, uh, would draw near to us. Uh, Lord, that you would not sweep our sadness under the rug, but that you would, uh, in the midst of uh, sadness and pain and cynicism, Lord, that that you would, by your grace, break through that uh, and remind us of what is true and what is everlasting. Uh, that we can find our hope in and be transformed by in the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, like many of you, my wife, Ann, and I are looking forward to Stranger Things Season 4. Uh, side note, one of the reasons we're looking forward to it is because my nephew uh, is makes a cameo. Uh, he signed some non-disclosure agreement, so he can't tell us what he's doing or where he is, but he's in somewhere. Maybe it's he just walks by, but he is, uh, he's a... He's a, a uh, an extra, uh, and he shows up somewhere. So uh, we're excited for that, but also excited to kind of see, you know, for all the same reasons you guys are excited. Uh, what is Steve going to do? You know, will Steve still be a scoops ahoy? You know, um, what's Dustin up to? One of the kind of endearing stories of season three, and if you haven't watched the show, Dustin, it's, it's these teenagers. It's like, I can never tell what grade they're in. They start out in like sixth grade. Uh, now they look older, so I think they're like eighth or ninth grade. But Dustin is kind of like they're kind of dorky kids. They love board games, and uh, Dustin, one of the main characters uh, at, at the beginning of the show, is coming back from science camp. Um, you know, peak nerdiness, and uh, he is telling his friends, "Hey, I met this girl. Uh, I've got a girl, Susie." Um, the way he describes her, she's like Phoebe. K. I don't know who Phoebe is, but only hotter, uh, and. Dustin has never had like much luck with the ladies, and so his friends are kind of like, "Oh, really?" You know, and he's like, "Yeah, she lives in Utah. Her parents are strict Mormons, so they can't. You know, she can't really talk that much." And they're kind of like, "Oh, okay, sure." And then, um, kind of like laughing it off. And so he's like, "Look, we, we set up. We promised to talk to each other on radio. 
So they go to the, he like drags them to this hills, right? They can have like a radio signal and then he sets up, this is in the mid eighties. So he's like setting up this large radio contraption, something I'm sure he learned at science camp. And uh, he like drags all his friends because he wants them to meet her and they set it up and they're just waiting. And at first they're kind of laughing and then they're kind of just like frustrated, like, is this girl real? Like, we just spent hours helping you set this up. There's already kind of tension because he wasn't welcomed home the way they wanted to. And so their, their laughter, like, aha, Dustin thinks he has a girlfriend. It kind of transitions into like more cynical, frustrated laughter. Like, dude, what are you doing? Uh, laughter, it's funny. In this passage, in our lives, shows up in all sorts of different forms. Uh, you, you see it actually when, when, when you read in verse, in, in chapter 17, God shows up to Abraham. Uh, and if you read that first passage that's printed on your scripture, he shows up, it's, it's right after the passage we read last week, and he reaffirms his promise to Abraham. He says, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna give you an offspring from you and Sarah. And it says Abraham bowed down and started laughing. Literally, his face hit the ground. That's not like he was laughing so hard that he hit the ground, but he, to bow down is to be in the presence of someone you respect. And, and he is laughing. He's saying, God, I'm 100. My wife, Sarah, is 90. How can we have children? It's almost like the, the, he's, he's laughing with a sense of shock uh, mixed in with kind of skepticism, like shock, like really? Like we have this other, we, we created this other child, Ishmael. Like, can we use him? God says, no, someone from your own family. He's like, Lord, I'm a hundred. My, my wife's 90. Like th this wasn't like, oh, back then th th it was different. Like, no, th th that was just as incredulous then as it is today. Uh, your grandparents, great-grandparents aren't having children anytime soon. Um, and, and so Abraham responds and, he, and he's, he's skeptical. He's laughing. He's kind of shocked. He's like, I can't, there's no way. We do the same thing. What are the ways you respond to God's promises, to his word with skepticism? What are the ways you write it off with laughter? Uh, maybe it's some of the things... God calls us to do. I mean, when you read what Jesus says about forgiveness in the Gospels, it's pretty wild. You know, Peter asks in Matthew 18, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? Jesus says 70 times seven. Basically, like, you have been forgiven so much. You are to forgive others with the grace that I have forgiven you. We're called to be patient in tribulation. We, we can easily write that off. Like, seriously? How am I supposed to be patient? How am I supposed to forgive other people? Like, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what I'm going through right now? How am I supposed to be patient? I'm supposed to have a job in two months. How am I supposed to be patient in the midst of tribulation? Zephaniah says something remarkable. It says the Lord takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you with singing. You might hear that and think, there's no way. I, th I think sometimes it, it, it's easy for us to think that God is tolerating us. It's very hard for us to believe that God would ever delight in us. You can easily laugh that off with comical skepticism 
Abraham is skeptical of God's promise. And, and you see in, in the next passage in, in Genesis 18, so starting in verse 10, you, you see Sarah is also skeptical. She also laughs and, and her laughing is, is a little bit different. Abraham's is marked more by shock, like, whoa, there is no way. Sarah's is a little bit more insular. She's by herself. There's, there's, there's a greater hint of kind of cynicism to her laughter when she says, she talks about herself being worn out. She's beyond the age of pleasure. What she's saying is that she's way, physically, she can't have children. Those days are over. And she's thinking to herself, like, she's probably rolling her eyes. Like, are you kidding me? There is no way. That's not going to happen. And to kind of give you the context, men appear at the tent in chapter 18. It later shows up that it's God's voice speaking to Abram. And God says, in one year, you're going to have a child. And Sarah overhears this and she's saying, no, me? I'm worn out. I'm an old bag of bones. Like, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. So she was listening at the door. I'm worn out. I'm beyond the age. She's old. Abraham is old. She's cynical about herself. She's cynical about others. She's cynical about God. She's waited 25 years. And look, she's experienced a lot of heartache. She's experienced a lot of pain. Abraham has not treated her well. By this point in the passage in, in Genesis, he's actually sold her into sex, sex slavery twice. He's given her over to two other kings. We read about it one a few weeks ago, but in the chapter in 19, the same thing happens again. She's got reason to be cynical. She's got reason to worry. And it's interesting, the Lord responds. It says in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And for Sarah, the answer is, well, yeah, it appears that it is. It's, it, you know, 25 years ago, she was promised a child. She, her husband was promised to be the father of many nations. They don't even have one child together, much less a nation or the capability of many nations. And so for Sarah, it's really easy for her to think, yes, there are some things that are too hard for the Lord. One thing in particular, her having a child. What about you? What? Where is it hard for you to believe God? What are some things you believe are too hard for God? Where do you cynically laugh off God's ability? Uh, there's plenty uh, of cynicism going around. There was a study done about 14 months ago by 538. It's a statistical, they did a lot of statistical analysis. Nate Silver's company, um, and, and basically, it wasn't anything new. I mean, they took statistics from the 40s, tracked it through 2019, and not a huge shock. Uh, trust is at an all-time low. Cynicism is at an all-time high. Hope is at an all-time low. And, and of course, these, you, know, you look at the graphs, and they do fluctuate with times. You look back, and you're like, oh, it peaked during these times and, and went. But uh, there's a downward trend. Cynicism is in the air. What is it that you are cynical 
about. It, it might be the way the world's going. Uh, it might be you. It, it might be your own heart. You, you might read a passage like, like so in, in a lot of the small groups were studying Philippians. Uh, in, in Philippians 1, Paul says this remarkable statement. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And you might hear that promise and think, I'm a lost cause. Like there were, there were times maybe when I felt like I was growing or maybe when I was younger, I, I felt like I, I, I believed these things. And now that seems like so far away. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm going backwards. How can I possibly believe that God will not give up on me, that he'll finish the work that he began in me? Maybe you struggle with others. Maybe you read passages like uh, John three sixteen, and it's not so much cynicism about yourself that, that, that peaks, it's cynicism about others, where God says, you know, it's a famous passage, um, for God so loved the world, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you might be thinking, whosoever believes in him? Whosoever believes, like all it takes is for someone to believe and they can be saved. Like even that person that drives me crazy, you're right. They're a lost cause. That person in my family, no way. Our cynicism can creep in so easily. The way we view ourselves, the way we view others, the way we view God. And it's interesting, right after Sarah is kind of like, Lord, I'm worn out past the age. God asks. He kind of asks this haunting question. Uh, why did Sarah laugh saying that I can't bear a child now that I'm old? And then, of course, she says, I, I didn't. <laughs> um, but, but that's a good question to ask yourself. Why? Why did Sarah laugh? Why did Sarah laugh cynically? Why do you and I revert towards cynicism? I mean, in Sarah's case, if you read Sarah's story, you can see her cynicism is rooted in a lot of pain, uh, a lot of waiting, a lot of unmet expectations. Uh, she's been mistreated by her husband. She's experienced tension in her family. And, and so what, what's an easy way to protect herself to deal with this, it's, it's easy just to become cynical, to kind of begin to see through everything. She begin to laugh. Isn't it funny how, how sometimes at, at, in our most painful times, we're tempted just to laugh things off? The Bible talks about that. Proverbs says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. The Bible knows us. That's one of the reasons I love the scripture. I, I read it and I think this book knows me. We're called to know the Bible, but as, as we get to know the Bible more and more, the more we realize the Bible actually knows us more and more. Cynical laughter, it allows us to hide in a lot of ways. And some of this will be more true for others of you than, than, than some others, but, but it can be easier for us to laugh off and kind of mock our family situation than to actually admit the pain of our family. Uh, it, it, it can be easier uh, to actually beat yourself up and be cynical about your ability, to be cynical about God's work in you than to actually admit that there are some things in school, in relationships, whatever, that are actually making you sad. Cynicism can be the easy 
out. Uh, one of my friends, Ben Robertson, I remember him saying, he, he pointed this out, which I thought was really helpful. He said, a lot of times our cynicism is actually rooted in pride. What does cynicism allow us to do? Cynicism, especially towards others, what does cynicism do? It assumes the worst. And it kind of puts us in a position of omniscience. So we'll see someone doing something and we think, oh, look at them, they're saying this, but I know what they're really meaning. Or they're doing this, but I know the real motive behind what they're doing. What are we doing when we're doing that? We're saying, I know a lot. (laughs) I know a lot more than everyone else. Everyone else might be duped by this, but I'm not. I see the real motive behind this. And there's a lot of pride rooted in that. There's a lot of pain at the root of cynicism. It's easy. It was funny. I remember there's a late night talk show host. He's not the late night guy. I think James Corden took his spot, but the guy before him was another Brit, um, Craig Ferguson. He was Scottish. And occasionally he would say some things that were pretty profound. He said this. He said, there's something I believe wholeheartedly. Cynicism is the true refuge of the pseudo-intellectual. Because that's true. Cynicism can kind of have the, the, the appearance of like, you know, intellectualism. Like, oh yeah, whatever. I don't believe them. That's just what, whatever. Write those people off. Write off their motives. He says this. He says, cynicism is easy. Joy is an extremely advanced spiritual and intellectual tenant. Um, I don't know his religious background, but um, I think the Bible agrees with a lot of that. Cynicism is easy. We have to fight for joy. So how do we do that? What is the basis of our hope? Uh, this passage, I said, invites us to hope, but it's not just a hope that, that's, that's hoping for the sake of hoping or hope in hope. Uh, no, this passage actually gives us, and the Bible gives us a reason for hope. Look at Genesis 21. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. In verse six, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now there is true laughter. There's, there, there's laughter that's filled with joy. Sarah's saying, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Like this is truly miraculous. She is a child. God has given her laughter. And now they can celebrate. God has kept his promise. And they name his son. God commands them almost as a reminder that God redeemed their laughter. What, are they, what does God command them to name their son? Isaac, which means son of laughter. In the Hebrew, it literally means son of laughter as if to say, you laughed in doubt and God kept his promises to you in joy and in laughter. And so, This passage is a reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. But you also might be reading this and thinking, that's great for that couple that lived thousands of years ago in the ancient Near East. What does this have to do with me? A lot. Their son, Isaac, was the promised, unlikely son they never expected. But he's the son through whom, what what did God say? That he was going to bless the nations. All the families of the earth will be blessed through this line. And what do you find as you read scriptures? You trace those genealogies. How is Jesus announced in the New Testament? He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Those genealogies trace all the way back to Isaac. And so Isaac is the unexpected son that is merely pointing 
to a greater son that is born in just as shocking and surprising and rejoiceful circumstances. Christ is the son in the same way that Isaac's name meant laughter and he brought laughter. Jesus' name, which means God saves, brings salvation. And he's announced in joy. Think about the Christmas story. The angels show up to the shepherds and what do they say? Rejoice. We bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? Why are we rejoice? This day, a Savior has been born to you. You and I can rejoice, not just because we know that God keeps his promises to some people 6,000 years ago, but that God has actually fulfilled his promise and given us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Your sin, your cynicism, your shame, your arrogance, your pride, your sadness, Jesus came to take that on and to redeem it. That's why he died. Jesus was born so that he could die for you. And not only that, that right as he's about to die, Jesus says something remarkable to his disciples. They're having the last supper and he takes a cup of wine and he says this in Matthew 26. He says, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Wine throughout the Bible is, is, is always given as a sign of life, of blessing, of joy and gladness. And you see what Jesus is saying? He's drinking it with them at the last supper. He says, I will not drink this again. I will not celebrate with you again until we do so in my father's kingdom, until my father comes back. There is coming a day that the Bible says it'll be like a feast of well-aged wines and fine meats when Jesus will come back and make all things new. In the same way that God redeemed Sarah's laughter from a laughter of cynicism and doubt and shock into a laughter of joy, Jesus promises to come again and he is gonna transform and redeem your sadness and your pain. Every tear will be wiped away. We can hope. And, and so that's my invitation to you tonight is to hope. You can have true and lasting hope. The Bible invites you to really hope, to dream. And not just to hope and dream in things that like are fun and cool to have, like the Apple Watch that I just got, which is cool. I've, been, I've hoped for that for a long time. But to actually, you can enjoy these things, but you can really hope and dream knowing full well that actually things like this will not satisfy you, but knowing full well that you have a God who keeps his promises and the pain you experience and the sadness you experience one day will not only be wiped away, but will be redeemed. Your mourning will be turned into dancing. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us. Uh, help us to hope. Lord, help us to acknowledge the ways uh, 
we have been hurt, the ways we have been sad, Lord, help us to see the ways we can easily run to cynicism, Lord, uh, as a way to hide from our pain, Lord, as a way to feel better about ourselves and other people. Lord, and and as we do that, Father, I, I pray that that would actually lead us to the cross and lead us to the hope of the resurrection that one day you will come back and, Lord, you will take that cynicism uh, and transform it because that, that, that's who you are. You are God who brings light out of darkness. And so, Father, I, I do pray that, that even uh, this day, Lord, Lord, you would begin that process now, Father. We look forward to it being completed one day, but we pray right now, Lord, that you, that, that would actually allow us to hope and to trust that, we, that our lives might be more and more characterized uh, by joy, uh, not because this world isn't filled with pain and we should ignore it, but, that, Lord, that we ultimately know how this story ends. And so, Father, uh, give us the grace to do this, the faith to do this. We pray all this in Christ's name.